the universe is looking for collaborators, baby. Uh It's a universe that is becoming and it needs help and it wants to work with you. It wants to be made. And a creative life is a life where you routinely choose the path of curiosity over the path of fear. Not like twice or three times or four times, but daily, systematically, it becomes your habit and your practice to say, I don't even know why I'm interested in this, but I'm interested in this and I'm going to look into it. So what does it truly mean to find your voice? Whether you consider yourself an artist or not, an entrepreneur, professional, leader, or parent, or really just any human being, finding that voice within you that is uniquely yours is a powerful moment and an unlock key, both personally and professionally. It fuels your ability to step into work and life from a place of not just technical skill or domain expertise, but also something deeper, a sense of uniqueness, differentiation, and aliveness that exists only in you and that can impact not only your life, but also those around you, those you serve, and those you seek to serve. But before you can have this level of expression and impact, you've got to do the work to discover that unique voice within you, that take on the world that you and only you have, and then find a way to bring it to everything that you do. And in doing so, experience those powerful moments where something you imagined into existence sparked not just admiration for the work, but true expression and emotion within you. Where your own sense and sensibility seems reflected in what you made, those flashes of authentic self-expression, where you've identified your unique voice and set it free, they can make life so much richer. So I have spoken with iconic makers, creators, teachers, and entrepreneurs at all stages of their journey, from those just starting out to those running marathons with their creativity for decades. And through our conversations, common themes arise again and again about how to find, foster, and share your unique voice. So we wanted to share a selection of those moments, ideas, and awakenings from a few deeply moving conversations that we've had over the years with some genuinely incredible, big-hearted, and wise creative humans as they reflect on their creative journeys with wisdom and vulnerability about how they found their unique voices. And today we're sharing part of our conversations with mega best-selling author Elizabeth Gilbert, author and artist Lisa Congdon, who didn't actually become an artist and find her voice until later in life, and poet, musician, and artist Morgan Harper Nichols. Each approaches the idea of finding your voice from a different angle. Yet together, their insights reveal universal truths about curiosity, openness, and owning one's own experience. So whether you're pushing through creative plateaus or just beginning to find your way, I hope that these conversations spark new questions and possibilities for finding your own journey towards a voice that is uniquely yours. So excited to share these conversations with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. 
So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. So our first guest, Elizabeth Gilbert, believes creativity is a collaboration between humans and something greater. Liz is a number one New York Times bestselling author of Eat, Pray, Love and so many other books. She shares her perspective on nurturing creativity. She sees simple curiosity as the root of all creativity. And for her, a creative life means choosing a path of curiosity over fear on a daily basis. And our conversation with Liz dives into the creative process from managing self-doubt to caring for our physical needs to show up for our creativity to viewing inspiration as a collaborator that needs our labor and devotion to manifest. And she reveals how intimacy with our own authentic life stories fuels the emotional power within our creative work. So whether you're an artist struggling to make space for creation or just a human being seeking techniques to overcome creative block, Liz's insights offer wisdom and inspiration to unleash your own untold stories waiting to be shared with the world. So here's Liz. When I see creative work that's original and it's really well made, I admire it. The way that you admired that view and that beautiful room. And, and you just, of course you admire it. It's very well done. You know, um, you just stand there and you think it's really, well, it's cool how you did that. I admire, I admire your work. But when you encounter creative work, that's really emotionally authentic, it's, it moves you. Yeah. And I don't want to just be walking around admiring stuff. I want to feel my humanity. I want to feel my own life reflected in your life. I want to feel moved and touched and stirred and the work might not be as good but as polished, or, or, as, polished yeah. as professional but it'll probably like change me in a way that looking at something that's just very accurately done will not i was having a conversation with my friend rob bell Do you yeah, know sure. him? pastor rob bell the greatest 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 guy about this the other day and he was saying one of the things he thinks stops people from indulging, because that's the word they seem to feel, in their pure creativity for no reason whatsoever, is that they feel like it's selfish Mm. and that they are sort of taking something away from the world by devoting that time to this thing. But he made this great point that I had never seen before. Now I wish I could put it in a codex at the end of Big Magic, because (laughs) it is the Big Magic. He said, and the few opportunities in your life where you've ever had the chance to meet a creative person who inspired you, you know, like what was the first thing you said to them? Thank you. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. The first thing when I met Tom Waits, the first thing I said to him was, I don't even know how to thank you for your work. And meanwhile, I'm buying it with my money. I'm subsidizing his life, right? So he, like, really, he should be thanking me, right? Because I'm the consumer who's making it possible for him to live off his music. But... We all know that it's me who has to be thanking him because of watching somebody do something so great made my life better. And so if you can permit yourself to do the work that you're being called to do, it's ultimately a gift in a, in a really weird way. I met Hilary Mantel the other day who wrote Wolf Hall, my favorite book. You know, I'm on my knees practically thanking her for that work. Wh- why? What did she do for me? She doesn't even know me. But by watching somebody live at their highest, most creative, most magnificent potential, my world was a better world. So use that as a justification to do the thing that you're called to do. It's an act of community service. Yeah, it resonates so strongly with me. I have such a simple definition of creativity. And I often hear people say, I don't have a creative bone in my body. It's a cliche that you hear people say. It's it's an expression. (laughs) It's a thing people say. And... And I always say to them, like, I don't want to fight you about that. I totally disagree. I believe if you're alive and you're a human being, you're a creative being. It's the hallmark of our species. We're the creative monkey. But, okay, I'm not going to try to fight you on that. What I will do, though, is ask you to take the word creative out of that sentence and replace it with the word curious Mm. and see how insane that sentence sounds. When you say, I do not have a curious bone in my body, 
whoever said that. That's not a thing anybody would ever say unless they were really in the jaws of a terrible, debilitating, serious depression. Um, you know, if you're at all alive, if you have any vitality at all, of course you have curiosity in you. And the way that you craft a creative life is by respecting, following, and trusting that curiosity. And curiosity only asks you to just turn your head and look a little closer and see if it's worth investigating and go a little deeper into it and see what it is. And on the other side, the sort of split, the fork in the road, is always going to be the thing that makes you curious and the thing that makes you scared. And a creative life is a life where you routinely choose the path of curiosity over the path of fear. Not like twice or three times or four times, but daily. Yeah, like systematically. Systematically. It becomes your habit and your practice to say, I don't even know why I'm interested in this, but I'm interested in this, and I'm going to look into it. Have you developed any practices that you feel like they, they help you make that systematic choice day after day after day after day after day? You know, I feel like if I... And I don't always succeed at this. Like I certainly haven't succeeded at this in the last two weeks. (laughs) Um, But generally speaking, I know this about myself. I know that if I can take care of what I call my animal, and my animal is the human body that I'm in, which is just an animal body. You know, it's a mammal and it's warm blooded and it's a female mammal. Um, Like it has all these characteristics of <laughs> the female of the species. Um, <laughs> it's a 46-year-old female homo sapien, right? It's an, which is the animal that I am, yeah. right? Um, because we are. And then inside of that animal, for reasons that none of us will ever know, there's a supercomputer um, that not another animal on earth has, right? We have that crazy, we're aware of our awareness. Um, we have that consciousness. We have um, sparks of divinity within us. We've got all this extra features, but all of that is the software. <laughs> yeah. The hardware is just like these bones, you know, these muscles, this digestive system, you know, this animal. And if I can first and foremost take care of that animal and make sure that that animal is treated as I would treat any animal in my care, that it gets a soft place to sleep and healthy food and nice walks in the sunshine (laughs) and that it's not being traumatized or abused or stressed or um, hurt in any way or being pushed beyond what it can do. Like if I had a, like if I had a horse, I wouldn't work it till it collapsed in the saddle. You know, if I had a dog, I wouldn't beat it. You know, like I wouldn't, I, I would take care of it. It would be my responsibility. So, if I can take care of the animal that Liz lives in, <laughs> then the supercomputer functions really well. And the supercomputer and the consciousness, once the animal is taken care of, will know what to do next. And it will make good decisions. And it will make the most interesting decisions and the most creative decisions and the most worthwhile decisions. So the practice is really like, are you healthy? Because none of the other stuff is going to work. If the animal that you live in is just a broke down mess, you know, um, and, and I say that saying that I don't always do it. I'm really busy. I have a book coming out in a week. I've been traveling. I'm tired. My animals run down right now. Um, and I know that when that happens, I don't believe a word my mind tells me (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because when my animal gets really tired, my mind is a big liar. The committee reconvenes. That's when the committee starts (laughs) saying like, there's no point, there's no purpose. Don't, you know, so, so that's the practice. And and I've had to learn that thought. I've look, I've learned it by the school of hard knocks. I've learned it by treating myself like a rented mule and then losing my creativity, losing my inspiration, losing my faith, losing my certainty. Um, so that's it, man. It starts there and then everything else will be much easier. You speak of inspiration as if it exists outside of the individual. And you also speak about ideas as if they exist outside the individual, as if they're sort of floating around, you know, like their own independent animals looking to become, I think your language is manifest through the vehicle of people. And it was interesting, um, reading that from you. I had a chance to sit down with Steve Pressfield a couple of years back, and we were talking about this over some organic pancakes in a cafe <laughs> in Santa Monica. And because he, First his, of all, of course they were organic pancakes. Of course. It was right. a cafe Santa in Santa Monica, Monica right. but you it's didn't like, have to say organic. Completely redundant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, because his, his idea of the muse is that it exists outside of you, and that, you know, 
with you know your job is to show up every day and to do the work and and to prove to the muse that you are worthy and and I was saying to him I was like I said that's on the one hand that's terrifying to me because you're acknowledging that the genius is not in you mm-hmm. you're just a vehicle mm-hmm. which means you have no control over that and he says yeah but but here's the flip side of this he's like you know it's also really freeing because then your job is not to come up with the awesome stuff it's just to sit down and prove that you're worthy and do the work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, I never really kind of thought about it that way. And then I, I stumbled upon your lens on ideas in the ether, you know, sort of like looking for people. Looking for, coll- the universe is looking for collaborators, baby. Yeah. It's a universe that is becoming and it needs help. Um, and it wants to work with you. It wants to be made. And and for me, the reason that is not a scary idea is because I don't ascribe to a sort of narrow view of the muse that says, I mean, I think that the two ways that artists are usually given to look at their work is either you are the servant of the muse, right? right? You're just a hand puppet, or you are dominating that thing. Like, you know, Nabokov said, when somebody said to him, do your characters ever take lives of your own? He's like, of course they don't. They're galley slaves, you know, which which is so him, um, which is so like, so Nabokov. It's just like, it all comes from me and I'm in charge, right? Um, and I love him and that's great and that's how he did stuff. Um, and the other alternative is the super hippie trippy way, which is very passive, which is, it, you know, has no muscle in it, which just says like, well, I guess I just have to wait here for this thing to happen to me. And the truth is, I don't think it's either one of those options. For me, the reason that that idea is so terribly exciting is because it's a partnership. It's a collaboration between a human being's labor and the mysteries of inspiration. You bring the labor and the devotion and the faith and the trust. The inspiration will do what it wants, but it can't work with you if you're not already working. And you can work even without inspiration. You know, like most of my life is me (laughs) sitting there just sort of slogging through it like a farmer and not being particularly satisfied with the results, but knowing that I'm showing up for my side of the contract, for my side of the deal. I said I was going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then months into the project, there'll come a day when suddenly there's air underneath me, Mm. you know, and I'm not doing it anymore. It's, I'm being given information that's coming from, I don't know where I look back at what I wrote. There's pages of the novel, the signature of all things. The last book that I wrote that I go back and look at, I have no recollection of having written it. I can honestly say, I don't know where that came from, but I spent four years doing research on botany and evolution and Darwinism. And I read like thousands, literally thousands of books. I was at my desk every morning at six o'clock working. So when I say I don't know where it came from, I kind of do know it came from my devotion, but there's another level of it that came from somewhere else because I know the difference between something that's coming from me and something that's coming through me. And what I live for, are those moments when something comes through me. But for that to happen, I have to have a lot of hours in the can of stuff just coming out of me. Nah. And then I reach the end of myself, and there's something else there. Yeah. And that is a whole lot of faith. <laughs> it's the best game in town. It's the best game in town. There's no other way I would rather live my life. It's the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> it's the greatest privilege. And one of the reasons I get annoyed when creative people start to get really complainy is that I just think, where's your gratitude for the fact that you get to even do this, that you get to even try, that you get to even try. There are millions of people in the world who have virtually no agency over their lives whatsoever. And you're lucky enough that you live in a world where you have even a tiny little bit of agency and you get to use it to interact with inspiration, which is the weirdest, most fascinating force in the universe, and all you want to do is be mad? All you want to do is be mad at it? Where's your gratitude? (laughs) This is a really interesting thing that you get to do. Just because it didn't work doesn't mean it wasn't interesting or it wasn't worthy. That's a powerful place to come from. That's just me preaching. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll come full circle. I think just spinning off of the uh, exploration of gratitude. So the name of this is Good Life Project. So if I offer that term out to you, to live a good life, Mm. what bubbles up? To show up for it, you know. um, And showing up for it for me means really having the discipline to stay awake and alert and responsive. Um, And I think that's the highest form of prayer in a way 
is to say, for reasons that none of us will ever know, God trusted me enough to put a life in my hands, and it was my own. Thought I could do it. (laughs) God was like, I'm going to give this bozo a life to take care of (laughs) and to curate, you know, and to curate and to create and to come into being. And I'm going to throw all sorts of obstacles at this life and see how you decide to puzzle them out and sort of setbacks and failures and disappointments. Um, And let's see if you can get through the whole thing without becoming embittered. I feel like that's one of the most interesting challenges in the world. Like, hey, what if you went through the whole life and by the end of it, you weren't bitter despite whatever happened or didn't happen? That's pretty cool. Um, That's a really interesting way to live. The most interesting choice that you could possibly make is... I'm not going to let this turn me sour and dark and small, but instead think of it as just another opportunity to learn and grow and be. That's a good life, you know? Um, And it has nothing to do with what kind of stuff you get out of it, you know? Um, And you and I both know that some of the people who we admire the most on an intimate level have, like, taken such severe face plants in their life. Like, they have... a a trail of disasters behind them, addictions and alcoholism and shame, terrible things that they did, police records sometimes, like some of the people who I just, who I revere and and who I come to when I'm in distress. Like if you could have seen who they were 20 years ago, you would cross the street and, you know, like put your wallet in your front pocket and you should because they were dangerous, screwed up, disastrous people. But they had moments of reckoning where they suddenly realized, I don't just want to be, I don't just want to be a million unconnected molecules flying through space, bumping into fighting and getting knocked over by everything I see. I want to be an integrated thing. I want to be a whole thing. I want to be a real thing. I want to be a good thing. And, and they sought that out and in so doing became heroes. That's a good life. It's the only life. The rest of it, you're just a meat puppet paying bills. <laughs> and that's not going to do it for me yeah. or for most of us, yeah. you know? Um, and it doesn't have to, doesn't have, to have ma- magnitude in the outcome. It will have magnitude simply because you laid claim to it and made it your own. That's magnificent enough and rare enough. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me, and it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight-up joy. 
When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good Life Project is sponsored by NetSuite. So I remember when our businesses were just starting to really scale. It was amazing and also added complexity and stress. And the things that I used to do in hours were taking days, too many spreadsheets, too many systems, no single source of truth. That sounds familiar. You should know these numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. 37,000 businesses have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And 1. Because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash goodlife. That's netsuite.com slash goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash goodlife. So big thanks for Liz sharing her wisdom on creativity, curiosity, and collaborating with inspiration, showing up and choosing curiosity brings the most interesting ideas. And our next guest, Morgan Harper Nichols, she found her inspiration through honoring stranger stories through poetry in a very public way and found that in doing so, she not only shared other people's voices, but found herself finding her own and building a stunning global community around it all. Morgan is a poet, mixed media artist, musician, and author of several books, including the Wall Street Journal bestseller, All Along You Were Blooming. And she shares how she unlocked her unique voice. Once feeling disconnected and unable to connect through her art, Morgan found new motivation when strangers connected with her vulnerability through poetry. In our conversation, it explores how Morgan made the intentional shift to writing poetry specifically to honor people's individual stories and the impact this had on her own creativity and unique voice. And she reveals how her own story became less important and how even poems that resonated with just one person keep her writing. And Morgan's Journey offers a really fresh perspective on how creating artistic or expressive work to connect with others can reawaken our own unique voice and express more of who we are in ways we never imagined possible. Here's Morgan. I was just doing like random freelancer things here and there and just trying to figure it out. And one night in 2016, that November, I just think the weight of all those expectations and feeling like I had let people down. I feel like I let down people who had supported me, especially like my family. And I was just like, okay, I'm an artist. I know how to make things. People tell me, oh, you're talented, you're this and that. But it's like, and yeah, I keep getting told no. Doors keep closing. I was like, what am I supposed to do with that? And I, I'm i not much of a crier, but I feel like this is kind of a trend with people say who are not criers. Like, it hits you eventually. <laughs> and then it's just a waterfall. And that just happened And I just broke down. I was like, I don't know what's next. I don't know if I can keep meeting those expectations. I don't know why, but I just feel like an absolute failure. Maybe there's that same childhood thing of like, I'm too weird. I'm too different. I'm like, maybe that's just it. I'm just too weird for everybody. And I wrote a poem about that. And I hadn't written a poem in terms of like how I felt in I don't know how long, because even mm. when I was in my MFA program, like I felt like, okay, like there is a way that published poets write, and I must write in that way. So I, even then, but in terms of like 
vulnerable, just, I don't know what to say anymore. My back's against the wall. This is ground zero. I'm just going to pour my soul on paper. I don't know when the last time that was that happened. And the words just came out and the poem starts with, when you start to feel like things should have been better this year, remember the mountains and valleys that brought you here. And as I started to write this, I would love to say that I just believe that to be true, but I didn't. But at the same time, the words just kept right. coming out. It's almost like you're writing to convince yourself, to, yes, to remind yourself. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I may not have said it that way then. It was just like, for some reason, this is coming out of me and I'm just going to write it down. So I wrote it down on a piece of paper in my journal. And then I was like, huh, that's a poem. I was like, maybe I could share that or something. So I grabbed my phone, took a picture of it. And I was like, I'm going to share this on Instagram. Like, why not? And I got ready to share it. I went through all the little screens, you know, pick the filter, da, 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 at the caption, everything. And I went to that top right corner and I got ready to press share. And I just like pulled my hand back. I was like, no, this is too vulnerable. I was like, this is too much. I can't share this. But I was like, at the same time, it was weird. I felt like I just had to release it. I had to do something mm. with it. I don't know why I felt that way, but I just did. So I posted it on Pinterest instead. And I was just kind of like, uh, maybe someone will see it over there. Maybe not. I don't know. That's just my way of doing the brave thing. I put it out there in right. the world. It's gone. I can forget about it. And I did forget about it for a few months. And then that following January is when I started to receive messages from people who I knew and on Instagram. And they said, hey, there's this reality star that posted your poem. You wrote a poem like on their page. <laughs> like, is this you? <laughs> and I was like, yes, that is my poem. I have absolutely no idea how she found that, but that's mine. And that ended up happening like a few more times. There was like an athlete that posted it and like people were tagging me like this person posted like a poem of yours. I wasn't like putting poetry out there. Right. So people that I knew, like people knew me for trying to do the music thing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I wrote that, but how is this thing getting out there? So I went back and looked at Pinterest and it had been repinned over a hundred thousand times. And till this day, I don't know how that happened. I didn't put tags on it. I didn't, I don't know. Mm. I guess it was confluence of a lot of different things just all at once. Yes. Right? So even after that got out, I was still just like, maybe that was just like a one-time thing, you know, right. like, I'm like, I can't be a poet. I'm like, I dropped out of my program. I didn't get the rest of the clues as to how to do this. I was like, I can't do this. I don't know. So for a few weeks there, I was just trying to juggle that. I had this, this thing happen, but I didn't really feel like I had more poems in me. And I've never really thought about it this way until now. I was like, in a way, I think that was supposed to be like the last poem. I think that was like the poem of like, all right, that was it. Hmm. That was a sum of everything. That was my last attempt at trying to be this positive, inspirational artist person that everyone is expecting me to be. I was like, that's it. That's all I got. And so I don't think I had an idea of like where to go from there. However, this poem kept getting shared and I started to receive people's messages from people that I didn't know. And they were saying things like, look, I don't know who you wrote this for or what it was about, but here's what I'm going through. And this is what this poem means to me. And some of these stories that I was receiving, I mean, I thought I was going through something. I mean, this was the stories just of loss and tragedy far beyond anything that I had dealt with. And it was in those moments that I felt inspired to write. Mm. And I realized I was like, oh, there are other people out there. All along, it was about other people and connecting. All along, it was about connecting. And I was so focus on trying to connect maybe up a ladder of like, oh, if I write a hit song or if I follow these rules, or if I do this, then I'll be able to make a career out of it and I'll be safe. I'll be okay. And all along, it was like, no, it was just about connecting with other people. They didn't have to be like people in suits. They didn't have to be executives, just other people. 
And I just started to realize, I'm like, even though, you know, I spent so much of my life feeling like I couldn't connect, it was through these messages. It was like, oh, I did. I did. I was like, I was writing words I didn't even believe for myself. But for some reason, someone who I don't even know, doesn't know me, felt heard in that. And I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know that was possible. And that's when I started to try to write poems again. And I was like, okay, I'm going to share these because this isn't about my story anymore. This is a, a service now. Like this is something that I can give a contribution I can give to the world, to one person. I was like, even if other people think this poem is cliche or not interesting or whatever, it doesn't matter. This is a letter to her. This is for her. It took a long time to figure that out. But I'm so grateful for that. That's kind of got me what got me where I am now. And honestly, what keeps me writing and keeps me creating despite all of that. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like something happened where you realize that I can do the part that I love to do. And what I create can speak to thousands and now millions of people, Mm. but I don't have to actually step onto a stage and be live in a room with sort of like mass numbers of people in Mm. performative mode in order for that to happen. Like you figured out that there's another way to make, to get the full suite of what makes you come alive happen without you having to go and sort of like suffer in that one particular mode. Yes. And um, when this episode comes out, I'm going to have to go back and read listen to what you said. And I'm going to write that out and put that on my wall because the way you just said it, I'm like, yes, that is what happened. That is what happened. Because when you're in it, it doesn't always feel like you're on a journey. You're just like, I'm stuck here in this, whatever this is. Like, I can't get out of my head. I can't get out of it. And at some point, it's like other people, other things, like they come in and remind you, like, no, you are alive. Like, you are. Like, I do see you. And in a weird way, other people sharing their stories with me reminded me that I was seen. They didn't know my story. They didn't know why I wrote that. There's still details to this day about everything that happened that I still haven't figured out how to talk about yet. So it's not about like, oh, you have to share every aspect of it and then someone's going to get it. It's like, no, it's just those little flickers, like those little things. It's like, no, I I love to do this. I love this work. And I just found that I was like, just to be able to see other people appreciate the love that the work that I love creating the most, like that was special. And I guess that was maybe like the first time that I felt like that really happened for me in a really significant way. So that honestly gave me so much confidence. I mean, I still have (laughs) self-doubt a lot as I create. And as long as you have a heartbeat. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All of us are like, yeah. And I'll give you an example. I'll get comments time to time. Like people are like, oh, these poems are so cliche. They all sound the same. And there's been a few where someone has said something for whatever reason, they didn't like it. And I look at that poem and I'm just like, oh, but it wasn't for you. Mm. I was like, this is literally for someone else. I have a journal that's coming out a little later and there's one of the pieces in it and I look at it and I'm like, oh, this was for a 10th grader. I remember her. I know who she is. So even if no one else likes it, it was for her. And in a way, I'm just kind of CCing everyone else on what was for her. So, yeah, it's almost hard for me not to create this way now. Yeah. Like, and we should yeah. probably put a little bit more because you kind oh, of for sure. offer what it was. But effectively, <laughs> what you know, you hit a point where you're creating for yourself and people are responding. But then you made a really in, intentional shift in yes. the way that you were deciding to create and for whom. Yeah. And sort of like the sequence of events. Yes. And I think that is so powerful. So, and you kind of hinted at it, yeah. but let's make it explicit. For sure. So, after that experience with that poem going viral on Pinterest and people finding it, and I started receiving these stories, and I'm just like, okay, whatever is happening when people, when I'm reading these responses, I was like, this is where I'm getting inspired. I was like, I'm getting inspired by this. I was like, this is what's keeping me going despite 
all of this that I feel like I can't do it. They make me want to keep writing. (laughs) And it took several months to put it together. Uh, But I think I was just working out different things in my brain, like, "Mm, maybe there's a way I can just make this my rhythm. Maybe this is just my flow, how I do it, how I make art. I just make it for other people. I make it for people's stories one at a time. That's what it is, one at a time. For everyone that wants me to write for their story, one at a time, I'll do it. So that was in October of that year. So January was when that start was when that poem started getting out there right. and people started sharing it. And it wasn't until that October, I was standing in my childhood home in Georgia and I was just looking out the window and I was like, I know what I'll do. And interestingly enough, I never thought of this till now. I was standing in the same room where I had actually started getting on that forum, Young Writer mm. Society. That was the room. That's the room where the magic happens, Some I suppose. juju in that room. Yeah. <laughs> so I was standing there, like literally right next to where that desk was. And I was like, I know. I'm just going to post on my Instagram, hey, send me your story and I'll write something for your story and I'll send it to you. And then I'll share it with everyone else. But I won't tell everyone their story because that's not the part that matters. That's private. Like, they don't have to share their story. We're just going to share the fruit and the honoring of their story through a poem. Yeah, that's what it is. So it just all kind of like <laughs> came, came together in that moment. And I just posted. It wasn't like a pretty graphic or anything. Till this day, I've never thought of a name for the project. I don't know what it's called. And I was just, and I, everything I just said, I just posted that in like a, a long little thread on my Instagram story. I just said a long little thread. But yeah, it was just like it was just like a little paragraph on my Instagram story. And I was like, maybe a few people will respond. At that time I had I don't know, I can't remember how many followers I had, maybe between ten and twenty thousand or so, just from doing music and everything and traveling, but it wasn't a really engaged, interactive right. audience. So I was like, I don't know, maybe a few people will see this. And a few people responded. And I was like, Oh, so I sat down at the table right there and I had my iPad. And at the time I had been curious about doing some digital artwork, but I didn't really know a ton about it. So I had this iPad and it was very basic. It was just a green or gray background and writing text. I didn't know anything about lettering or any of that stuff. And I was just like, okay, this person, there's her, her story. It makes me think of her journeying up a mountain. I'll just write about that. So I did, I think that day I did three. I did three. It was like the first three that I got. And it was just like, okay, yeah, I'm just, I just wrote for those three. I was like, this feels awesome. I enjoy this. So I just left the iPad alone. I left Instagram alone for the day. Woke up the next day and had like hundreds of messages <laughs> from people that didn't even follow me. And they were like, hey, my friend posted that you're like writing for people's stories. That's so mm. cool. Can I tell you my story? And I was like, sure. <laughs> Yes. And I was so excited. And I was like, I can't remember the last time I was this excited to just make things like, gosh, like it just took me back to my childhood. I was like, this is what I'm excited about. I want to do this. I want to do more of this. So yeah, it, it got to a point where I didn't have the time to write for everyone's stories. And I was like, I can't possibly choose. So I just randomly select. I just started to randomly select. So this was day two where that was happening because they were just rolling in. And interestingly enough, I actually had a show that night (laughs) because I was still doing a few shows here and there. And all I could think about was just like, gosh, I got to get back to that. I can't wait to get back to the hotel. Like, I got to do this. This is what I want to do. Yeah. Every day I was like, maybe I'll just do this for the whole week. And then it was like, I'll just do it for the rest of the month. Oh, I'll just do it for the rest of the year. And here we are. Like, in 2020 and I'm still doing it every single week and that has just become the the thread that holds my whole creative process together and I think a lot of it just goes back to not feeling like I could connect and then just having all these moments where I just felt like I was just out in the wilderness and I was completely disconnected from all these things I love to do because I wasn't able to manage how to figure out how to be successful at it based on all these other standards or things. And then to have these beautiful, incredible souls from all over the world, people who I don't know, some of them I may never meet. And 
for them to take the time to tell me their story. I, I couldn't have planned it. So that's what I do. So that's yeah. what I do. I write poetry and I make art. People still send me emails and Instagram messages. And for a period there, I was actually doing it every day. But after having my son, you know, I just don't things have the change. time. Yeah, yeah, things change. So at least once a week, I make it a point to sit down. A lot of times what happens is I'll just read their story and whatever word comes to mind, like sometimes it's trust. Sometimes it's, I think they're looking for freedom, healing. Sometimes it's river, sunrise, horizon. And I just kind of work from that word. And sometimes the person responds with a long message, like this was my word of the year. And sometimes it's literally like, okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> and do it for that. Yeah. Right. And sometimes it's no response at yeah. all, but it doesn't matter. I still feel good. Right. I feel like it's my thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, would you read something? Oh, sure. Awesome. I actually, Absolutely. Um, if you wanted to pick something different also, but oh, I would love to this see. one actually from your book <gasps> just kind of really stuck out to me. Mm, yes. And again, if you want to choose something different, don't no, this is, this is one of my favorites. I'm so grateful you chose this one. If you ever start to feel weary of the mundane and completely restless in all that has not changed and rather numb to the mention of grace. Let today be the day you make the mindful decision to find joy in the ordinary places. The white light between the bedroom blinds, the taste of rich, dark coffee grinds. For even though the extraordinary calls you and you feel its river running wild through your bones, and your heart is craving meaning and purpose on the other side of your unknowns, there are still these flickers of light and familiar tastes that are calling your heart to know. Even when you are still, there are so many ways to find your way to gratitude. And the art is a line drawing of a desk by a window. And there's a mountainscape beyond the window. For me, that was just a way of showing that there's always something beyond, but it begins right here. There's always something, there's something more to this moment. And I think a lot of times when we think, I want more, I want more. It's like, well, I got to get on a plane. I got to go somewhere. And that's absolutely true. I love to travel, but there's also more happening right here. And in the stillness, we can begin to see that. So Yeah, I love that. Thank you for reading that and also sharing what was behind the images oh, behind it. It's really okay. beautiful. Mm, so sitting here in this container of the Good Life Project, um, if I offer up this phrase, to live a good life, what comes up? Mm. The first word that comes up for me is a full life, like just fully emerged head, heart, body, soul. And like you said, it's hard to fully do that <laughs> all the time. Like we can't just like be in that state all the time. But I think it's realizing like, wow, all of this together, it's good. I'm good. There are good things happening here. So yeah, that's what that means to me hmm. today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Small details are big surfaces. 
tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I love how Morgan shares her story of unlocking creativity through honoring other stories. And she reminds us that connection through our creative expression and acts of service can reignite inspiration. And our final contributor to today's conversation about finding your unique voice, who is an old friend of mine, Lisa Congdon, she believes that life experience, curiosity, and openness are key to developing a distinct expressive voice. Lisa is an illustrator and author of 10 books, including Finding Your Artistic Voice, The Essential Guide to Working Your Creative Magic. And I love Lisa's story in part because she made the journey into art, teaching, and entrepreneurship later in life, having assumed that she was actually the one in her family who didn't have that gift or unique expressive voice worth cultivating or sharing. And Lisa shares really how to cultivate your unique voice through everyday practice, exploring different mediums, and by being vulnerable with her own experiences. She talks about letting go of perfectionism, embracing experimentation, and focusing less on style and more on what we seek to say, and how that contributed to developing her own voice over time. And she reveals how professionals can really find the sweet spot between what inspires them and what others desire. Lisa shares how owning her own story and path without shame has enabled more joy and a good life as an artist, teacher, and entrepreneur. Here's Lisa. So as we sit here today, you've been on tour for a couple of months now with this new book, which is the the whole idea of finding your artistic voice. And you hit a point where you're like, you know what? There's a bigger conversation that needs to be had. And I know over the years, this is a question that you get asked over and over and over is this idea from young artists and, and probably from not so young artists also, like, h- how do I find, because I think that the edict is you've got to find your voice. You're like, you're not legit. You can't go out there in the world or you can't even make your own art until you figure out what is that thing that is distinct about you. So you took on this project and said, okay, let me write a book because that's what you do. <laughs> Let's dive into this a little bit. Um, first, maybe a definition is probably a good place to start. So when we talk about this thing called your artistic voice, What are we even talking about? Well, there's so many layers to it, but writ large, it's what sets you apart. And I wrote this book for visual artists, although the same sort of general principles apply to writers and comedians and actors and anybody who has a creative point of view. But it's it's your voice is that thing that even if you work in a similar genre as other artists or have a very similar style, it's like the thing that makes your work yours makes your work different from other artists, even those artists whose work is similar to yours, right? It's the thing that makes you you. And that's important for a few reasons. It's important for folks who have professional aspirations, right? Like it's this thing that feeds building an audience 
and allows you to exchange money for your work, which allows you to continue making more work, which allows you to continue to develop your voice, which allows that, you know, that sort of continuous, continuous professional cycle. It's also your voice is your story. I think we often equate um, voice with style, right? Especially for visual artists or musicians, that it's this particular way that things look, but really your style is definitely a very important part of your voice, but your voice is really your own point of view. It's your own version of the truth. It's your story, right? And everyone has a story. And a lot of people who don't make narrative work don't necessarily think of their voice as their story, but really your story is everything about you. It's your values and your life experience. It's your, it's the color of your skin and your sexual orientation. It's all these things. It's all these ways that you walk through the world and how you filter everything around you. And that all sort of culminates in what you choose to make work about. It's your subject matter. And I think that's surprising to people. And I want to encourage people to focus less on what is my style to more like, what am I trying to say? What am I about? And I think that's often missing for a lot of people. And also owning whatever that is and not comparing it to other people that maybe their message is more important than mine. And because a lot of times the stuff that we make work about might seem really banal or simplistic, but you're making that work for a particular reason. And that's important because it's what makes your work yours. It's your own particular point of view. It's owning your process and the way you approach your work and the materials you use and the subject matter and all of those things. It's interesting when I, before I made, decided to make this book, my real sense of curiosity was like, how did I get from this place where I, you know, had no artistic training and I taught myself a pretty much almost exclusively along the way. I took a few classes here and there, but how did I get from this place of being a total beginner to somebody who has this very well-formed voice? And I realized that there was something there that I could learn from. And then I also interviewed a bunch of other artists. Everybody goes through their own path, right? How did you find your voice and what was important in that process? And I also dove into some research about creativity and how the brain works. And as it turns out, practicing and showing up and doing the same thing over and over and over is one of the the main things that leads to, you know, one finding one's voice in whatever medium you use. And the other thing is actually openness to experience, like just being open to and being non-judgmental. This idea of just being present with what is, being curious and having this sense of wonder about the world actually is extremely important in developing your voice. And I think I understood all of that on some level before I started, you know, researching and writing the book, but the book sort of like made that all very clear to me. As reflecting as you're speaking on years back when we were filming, uh, I had the opportunity to sit down with Milton Glaser, who's this, you know, iconic designer, just an astonishing human being. And we circled around to the topic of style and he is a fierce, he, he hates the idea that you would label somebody with a style or that anybody who is in the creative world would say, this is my style. And, you know, he put a stamp on it. And he said, people tried to do that. You know, he's incredibly successful and people would hire him because they kind of wanted like, they're like, well, we want that style. And he's like, no, you hired me because of the way I think, the way I see the world, because I have my unique process and point of view. And you need to trust that that will come up with something that's really good, that may look like nothing I've ever done before. And I remember him sharing how that was not always the most comfortable conversation with clients who wanted it to look like X, which had been done you know, like a whole bunch of times before. And I think when we lock ourselves into that, it's almost like we're reverse engineering. So we lock ourselves into a style, which then makes us afraid of evolving the human being underneath the style. And then everything becomes stale. That's right. I have a friend right now who I've spent some time with in New York this week. She lives here and she's an illustrator and she's sort of bored. You know, she makes a lot of products and she has a very distinct style and she really wants to break out of it. But her clients, they they expect things a certain way. And I was really encouraging her and I think she's ready. She really wants to move her work into a new direction. And I said, you have to trust the process. You have to trust because if you 
are bored making the work that you're making or you're making it for other people, you are going to lose interest. It's going to be a miserable experience for you. And I think what's often confusing for people is like, my voice has always been pretty consistent actually, but my style changes every now and again, depending on the mediums that I'm using. And I think for a long time, people were confused by that. Oh, you try so many things, you do so many things, you paint, you draw, you collage, you do this, you do that. I mean, consistency is important. It's part of your voice, but that's more the DNA part of you that like comes out in your work. This idea that everything you make has to look the same or be in the same color palette or or be in the same style constantly is actually antithetical to creativity, right? Like we want to get to the place where we're really open to trying new things and doing things in a new way and going with these crazy ideas that we have about making new work. And I would encourage people to really focus on that and let that guide your work rather than I must make things in this way because that's what people want to consume. Yeah, it brings up a really interesting question, which is when you think about doing the work to develop your artistic voice and the desire, and this isn't true for everybody, but if you also desire to have then your artistic expression be the source of your living. Do you feel that there's a tension in developing those simultaneously? Do you like alternate between them? Because if you're trying to develop what feels really true to you at the same time that you're trying to develop work that you think will pay your rent, um, is that okay? Yes. I'm really into Venn diagrams. For me, it's this intersection between doing what I love and what I want to do, but also finding that space where other people at that overlap, you know, with what other people are appreciating and enjoying. And maybe even a third circle that is something about, I don't know, honoring my own point of view and my own experience and my own um, approach to things that there's a, some kind of sweet spot in the middle there. And I encourage everyone to figure out where your Venn diagram might, like, might look different. But for the purposes of having a professional career, I think you have to find the overlap between what brings you joy, what makes you want to get out of bed in the morning, and what brings other people joy, and what makes other people want to consume your work or identify with your story or say that is so beautiful. I love that. I'm going to go buy it from your shop or whatever. That doesn't mean that that's all you do. Maybe there's some stuff you're doing on the side that's a little weird or different or that isn't necessarily even commercially available and that you're not necessarily restraining yourself, but finding the intersection between what brings you joy and what brings your audience joy feels to me like the place that we have to find as professional creatives. And if you're lucky or you're smart about how you work at that, you'll find it. I actually find the most satisfaction in that work because there's something about making something, being in the flow of making it, or even if I've not been in the flow, even if it it was you know something that I created out of struggle and <laughs> consternation, which sometimes also happens. But in the end, I'm like, I'm so down with this thing. It's so good. And then putting it out into the world and having other people respond to it is like, and that doesn't always happen either. But when it does, it is like the most intense feeling of kind of connection and I don't know, resonance that I can describe. It's to me, one of the best parts of being an artist is not just the act of creating, which is also really amazing and wonderful personally and internally, but also like how when I share that stuff and other people respond to it is like, it's magical. And that's part of what motivates me to keep making work. And I think that's the thing everybody needs to find. And it's going to look different for everybody. But I do think that those things are compatible. And ultimately, when you're doing what you love and you are doing it out of, from a place of curiosity and openness and joy, it's going to resonate with people. It just happens. Mm -hmm. So Love that. Feels like a good place for us to come full circle. I'm going to ask you a question I have asked you before, but it's been a lot of years. Okay. So as we sit here in this container of a good life project, if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? 
for me personally, I have really spent a lot of time in the last couple of years trying to move from this place of feeling like I, I, d- I didn't belong or that I came into this world of art and design as an outsider and really just owning my own experience. I'm in honoring my own experience as an older woman, as a, somebody who's self-taught, as some, as actually like my strength and not the thing I need to be ashamed of. So for me, part of living a good life is really owning and honoring whatever your path is. We spend so much time in shame spirals or in not feeling like we're enough or in not feeling like we'll ever be good enough. And the minute I started changing my own narrative about my life and my potential and what was actually connecting me to the people who are consuming my work, I started to relax and feel more joy. And some people might describe it as confidence, but just this sense of equanimity about like my life. And I feel like my life is so much better because of that sort of shift that I made. So I would say right now, what makes a good life for me is just being me and owning my own experience as valuable and important and being okay taking up space with that. Thank you. You're welcome. So big thanks to Lisa for sharing her journey and wisdom on finding your voice. Her words really remind us to honor our own paths, embrace experimentation, and share our truth. So I hope our conversation today has inspired you to listen more closely to the voice within you just waiting to emerge through your own creativity and expression. Finding, cultivating, and honing and sharing that voice, it's just so important, both for your own ability to feel fully expressed in your life and also because the world needs it more now than ever. Thanks so much to Liz, Morgan, and Lisa for generously sharing their wisdom and journeys with us. So go out and make something, share something, connect with another through your unique voice. And if you love this episode, be sure to catch the full conversations with today's guests. You can find a link to those episodes in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, please go ahead and follow Good Life Project in your favorite listening app. And if you found this conversation interesting or inspiring or valuable, and chances are you did since you're still listening here, would you do me a personal favor, a seven second favor and share it maybe on social or by text or by email, even just with one person, just copy the link from the app you're using and tell those, you know, those you love, those you want to help navigate this thing called life a little better so we can all do it better together with more ease and more joy. Tell them to listen, then even invite them to talk about what you've both discovered because when podcasts become conversations and conversations become action, that's how we all come alive together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, signing off for Good Life Project.